0: I was just listening to Steph Curry talk about some of his like workouts and stuff. He's obsessed with the details. He doesn't just put up a thousand shots. He tries to track what part of the rim did it hit as it went in. The more granular you get with all those little details, the more present and aware and like focus you're putting on that stuff. When you go to play in front of an entire arena, he's thought about it four or five times deeper than most of the people that are doing it. I think you can apply the same thing to drums.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Nashville Drummers Podcast, episode
2: 25. Today's guest is someone that I'm sure most people know, as long as you're not living under a rock. (laughs) It's kind of even hard to give him a fully deserving bio, but truly just a wizard and just a very resourceful, awesome dude, Mr. Tim Buell. And we talk a lot about having guests on that. I mean, obviously, we want to learn about their drumming background we definitely still get into that with Tim. He's someone that has hit all facets of the industry, from touring to doing sessions. Of course, many of you may know him from his transcription work yeah. as he well. does he
1: does just a little
2: bit of that. He dabbles.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, we go into a whole range of topics on this one. Well, and it's like you said, it is a really spanning conversation, and we, for a long time in the podcast, don't really talk about drums. And to be honest, those are my favorite ones when they just naturally lead into one topic and the next and the next and the next yeah
2: tim is he has his own podcast as well which we should definitely check that out you're good get better this was a really good example of that kind of an episode where we can just extract like okay you're a drummer and let's figure out the things that make you successful or the things that you're doing really well
1: that hopefully others obviously find value in mm-hmm. we hope you enjoy episode 25 national drummers podcast
0: Hey, I have a, an icebreaker that oh. I thought of in the car ride over and I was like...
1: Is it Fat Penguin? I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is either. What's to break the ice? I, would, I, would, oh. yeah, <laughs> I was getting there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this is
0: sober now. long along hours. Um What is the last piece of art? So this is music, movie, TV, cool. uh, book actual art installation what is the last piece of art you consumed that brought you to tears damn oh that's a good question while you all are thinking i will say for me it is uh my wife and i are re-watching euphoria and i would say like almost every episode of euphoria there's at least one scene that makes me either want to cry or actually just cry uh that show to me is like i don't know if you guys have seen it but it's the first show since Mad Men that i feel like perfectly nails like in overall every step of the way like aesthetic like lighting um, cinematography writing character performance all of it is just like this is so perfectly this thing mm-hmm. Mad Men was the first show that I saw do that so there's a lot of scenes in Mad Men that I'm just like how could any group of people ever create something that just feels so perfectly like artistically congealed together whoa hmm. so like yeah euphoria it's for me wow
2: Okay. Okay. This is what we get for interviewing another podcast guy. He's, yeah. he's coming with so this, yeah. this is great. This is my podcast now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, do you have something in mind, or uh, I have yeah, like a, a very yeah. lame small example. I, I want to say There's it was no like answers. one of the one of the Harry Potter's. It was like the last scene in like oh. the, the soundtrack. Sure, it's like the very last scene, like the orchestra plays, and oh yeah, it's I think it's one of the the latter ones. Yeah, but it's also just. The plot if you're a Harry Potter fan, for what that moment means. Sure, and the music is there, and I think I saw it in theaters.
1: Hmm. So again, I wasn't I wasn't in tears, but I was like, yeah, at that level. I, yeah. lo- I so. love I those. Well, you know what? Actually, you know what gets me every time is uh Hagrid's response to seeing Harry there to sacrifice himself. Yeah, he, he's so upset that that. Wait, Harry... is that what you're
2: going to say? Or no, no, no. Okay. But that.
1: But it's like, wow, that, we all chose within that. Movies. I'm like, oh my god, it <laughs> yep. gets me choked up every time. Yeah. Actually. Uh, today, I was not quite, but I was like full chills and like kind of starting to get messy. That was just today. It was a song called Night Spinners by, oh, I,
0: I, I even, I posted it because I just was so blown away by it. Mm. Uh, I like that music can, I, th- I think, I think the whole reason I thought of that as an icebreaker is because I feel like, especially on a podcast, where like we're we're all like nerds about drums and stuff. Like, it can be easy to forget that like, what we do is only a really tiny part of like why anyone would ever like buy an album. Yes, 100%. You would buy an album to like have the music as a whole move you, not just be like, Gad's drums in the chorus is just so like, that's not <laughs> right, really why. Exactly. Like, yep. That might be something that you also can get fulfillment out of, but like, it's, it's really easy, for me at least, to like forget that no one's gonna care if, right. if like. Yeah. The paradiddle wasn't quite as crisp as like intended or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. When I think of my like, favorite we'll songs, it's not even because of the drums.
2: Yeah, to your point. It's, the, it's yeah. the whole song, the music, lyrics, melody, whatever.
1: Well, and that and to that point, I I spent several years of my life not really listening to music, li- really listening to like I listened to like a bunch of TED talks and things of that nature, where I'm like figuring out high performance stuff, and that stuff all served my drumming but then I had this moment where I suddenly realized I'm like, I'm not listening to music. Yeah. And I didn't get into music for drumming. I got into drumming for music. Yeah. I'm like, okay, drumming. I liked the drums. and That was my vehicle to be a part of music. And I really obviously I've developed some obsession over rhythmic things, but <laughs> <laughs> the center kernel of that thing was a love of music. So it was stupid for me not to be consuming that regularly. Oh, yeah. And it's, Night Spinner by George Brooks,
0: Zakir Hussain, and Jack uh, Perla. Oh, sick. Hmm. Man. Don't know that. Zakir Molly. Hussain is the only name I recognize immediately. But It's like tabla and soprano
1: sax for the first s- several minutes, and it was within seconds. I was like, whoa. whoa.
0: Like on,
1: on another level.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. But, oh, you know
2: what? I just thought of this, and this is perfect because of our connection with PASIC and you said art installation so at this year's event they had it was like it was super i mean it was weird but people kept saying you got to go check this it was like room 125 of the convention center this is in the middle of all the drum clinics right so dave weckle benny gray mike johnson all these guys were giving clinics and then everyone's like no you got to go check out room 125 just just trust me and it was called uh, a world without ice and it was literally i think it was like six or eight it was like it was a suspended symbol stand, but instead of a symbol, it was actual ice cubes. And it was dripping onto different floor tom sizes. So it was literally just dripping. That was it. But as you can imagine, it all created different tones and it was all random. Oh. And then there was a projector that had like some visual elements as like a screensaver kind of thing. But it was right. it was the coolest thing I've seen.
0: Probably all year. Very cool. That's I'm obsessed with
1: that idea yeah. now.
0: It was so cool. Wow. Going to see, I was just talking to a neighbor of mine uh, and he was talking about how he and his family just went and saw there's like an installation right now that's like projecting, I think it's Monet or Van Gogh, you know, one of them. (laughs) Uh, I think it's Van Gogh actually. They're probably like 20 foot tall walls. It's like a real industrial looking place and they're just projecting like all of his art on these huge walls. So like you're pretty much just Literally immersed in an entire room of like mm. it, yeah. And uh, hmm. he was saying it was like really, really cool, really powerful. Um, but he was also saying that they were, they were playing a bunch of music with it. And I was like, I, it's an interesting thing to like think about, like Van Gogh being paired with like I don't Led Zeppelin or something. It's like I don't I don't know if like how would yeah. Van Gogh feel about this? <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing to try and pair, and I think that's what gets people get wrong a lot like that goes back to like euphoria and stuff like to have something that looks beautiful and have people in a show performing such great performances and have a like a plot and a script that's so great that's all hard enough but then sometimes you can have all of that and then like the music they pick whether you like are consciously aware of it or not is the one thing keeping you from like totally getting lost in it yeah you're just like I don't know. And I feel like sometimes when you're like at a concert, it's the same thing where you're like not fully engaged, and you're just kind of like, there's just something not right. So I think it's it's like an interesting thing to like think about what Van Gogh would do if he walked in to an installation of his work and they were playing like Kesha or something, and he was yeah, just right. like, the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen like
2: someone? Probably more than one person has like the. What those composers would look like in
0: today's world with AI? Oh, it's kind of cool. AI is adults, teenagers. Yeah, Yeah. it's Mm kind of spooky, but also kind of cool. I was on Instagram, I think yesterday. No, it was YouTube, and I was. I you know subscribe to enough channels where like every now and then I'll pop in for like thirty minutes and catch up on the channels I follow or whatever. Yep. Um, but you know every every now and then you gotta have a night or you just let the algorithm <laughs> yeah take you where it goes exactly. And uh, in the midst of doing that last night, I there was an ad that it was AI generated human singing. Huh. Basically, you type in lyrics and then with MIDI you program a melody, and it will be a Air quote, human singing your thing, and I was just like, "Who is this for?" Yeah, like why? <laughs> I, the whole thing was so creepy, and I was like, "Man, I really do kind of want to mess around with it." Yeah. but um, I think some something out of this whole weird AI thing that we're currently working through will will surface as I think kind of useful. Yeah, we're in a weird transition with this, the metaverse,
2: and and like you know, <laughs> said, AI. Yeah.
0: I trying enc- to
1: figure it all out. I encountered AI generated gent metal. That's on. It's continuous. It's on YouTube. You can find it. And it's when I when I came across it, it said song number three thousand five hundred fifty five, something like that. And I just went into the comments and I'm like someone said, and song number three thousand five hundred forty three was really good. So I was Like, <laughs> yeah. man, how long have you been listening? First of all, yeah. yeah. And, well, that was just a comment.
0: Too, yeah, but I'm like, you know? oh my god, what? I mean, what does this mean? What? I mean, what does it mean? I I honestly think like right now, the limited perspective I have on all that stuff is like, I think it really can be used as like a really cool tool to get you started. Yes. Like it can be the like random shuffleizer you need to just be like, I don't, I don't feel inspired today or I don't, whatever. Um, I, but like, I think there's a lot of people that are like, especially in the visual art community, that have like the AI that you can just type in a whole prompt, you know, like SpongeBob SquarePants in like pointillism, and it will just like generate it. No. Yes, I think there's a lot of people in the visual art world that is like worried about that, and I don't know, like, I don't worry about it that much because it's. It, I think it's only going to be, at least for now, it's only going to be a thing if it enhances a human being doing their work yeah mm. which someone who's able to like use ai to like make great art is probably already great at art anyway it's yeah. not going to make like i'm not going to be able to make better visual art because i have ai because i i'm not good at visual art hmm. yeah well and it's That's also at this point, at
1: least, we're putting in those. Pro- I personally, I I've been using Mid Journey. That's the one I I use for. And that's, Is that a visual art one? Yeah. Okay. And the interesting ones are always. I mean, every single one of them. Obviously, it's for, it's a human decision. Saying, I would like you to do David Hasselhoff, <laughs> you know, singing with Queen, <laughs> hy- hyper realistic. Like, okay, pff, that's I want to see that. But that was a human that decided that mm, thing. Mm-hmm. When we start getting AI, that's coming up with those clever combinations, then that's going to be quite freaky. But yeah. We're not there yet.
0: Yeah. We're not
2: there yet. Yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of maybe more now as like an inspirational tool. Yeah. As I'm, as if I'm an artist, I'm not really worried. Is that taking anything over? Kind of like electronic drum machines. Like I don't think any of us are super worried. No. But maybe that's a good segue too.
0: I mean, it's well, electronic drumming. and I think there's a lot of people like in the whole studio... Yeah, scene, of course. I think that there's a lot of people that thought like there. There's actually a. Uh, I did a podcast episode reacting to it because I found this like Musicians Institute clinic that Jeff Picaro did, and he was talking about like people were asking about click track and stuff. And this is like right around when like sessions were starting to just use click track, which was not a thing back then. And his thoughts on it were so interesting because it definitely did lean toward click track's going to ruin music. And I think there's still people that think that. Whoa but what's what's so interesting to me like the more like work i've started to do like session work producing stuff like that the more i've realized like i still get hired sometimes to program drum parts because yeah. producers that don't play drums can't program good drum parts or mm-hmm. not yeah, still something a human drummer
2: yeah, even if if you're just programming it into a computer totally and that yeah, that's like a good
0: point. something that i've like been super interested in and I have no way to like prove this, but I I could I think statistically speaking I would say like ninety seven percent of the musicians that I just am like I love this person I love what they do producer artist hired musician whatever it is like almost all of them also play drums like I just yes. gravitate toward musicians that I'll, like Chick Corea one of my favorite piano players forever didn't know until like ten years into liking him that he played drums yeah like almost all of my favorite musicians, like some of my favorite producer. I've listened to like 15, 20 albums that they've worked on across different artists. And I'm like, I love it so much. And then I find out like they're a drummer first and mm. then producer. And I'm like, Oh <laughs> yeah. And makes it's sense. like, yeah. And I just think that that's why I don't think as a drummer, you should be worried about drum machines taking over or worried about it's so easy to get a loop pack and put together samples and whatever like you should be worried if you aren't willing to get your hands dirty with that stuff like that's when you should start to worry like if you're resistant to the reality of music moving forward like as a photographer if ai really does take a hold and these prompt things become really popular it's like you should only be worried as a visual artist if you just like totally resist it and want to act as if they aren't Existing and no one's using them, Mm -hmm. but if you're also willing to use them, then like it's going to be you're you're going to be a step ahead of everybody else that's using them because you actually have visual art skills on top of this stuff. Yeah, it's like anyone can buy a sample pack of drums. Less people can buy a sample pack of drums and make it feel like something that pairs well with some song that yeah, no one actually uses it musically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the important, I, I think the thing that I try to like keep in mind is forever is a long time. So to say, like, I'm never going to do X, Y, Z is, like, a bold statement. And I'm a pretty hard-headed person, but I have lived enough life to know that, like, Mm. think, because there was a period of time where I was a full-time touring musician, and I literally was like, I will never, ever not tour full-time. And now (laughs) I can look back and go, that was... You know, I have a ton of thoughts about that kind of mindset. So I feel like it's just important for me, like crypto, NFTs, however much you choose to engage with it before you make an opinion of it, engage with it yourself and figure out what you think. Like, it's one thing to buy a sample pack, learn how to like program some beats that sound cool that you find like inspiring and engaging or whatever. And then be like, okay, cool. I still like playing drums physically way more and I don't really want to do this. But now you know that that's true and now you still have whatever skills you learned from doing that thing mm-hmm. and you might find this one project where you go, you know what? This kind of project is actually perfect for this yeah. thing and I've never thought I'd use this skill before but now I'm going to do it and it's going to be great and it's going to be whatever. Like, You just really never know and I think like especially going online and looking at a comment section on any place you are online, it's easy to like fall down the trap of like, I'm watching this thing and I now need to decide, do I like it or do I not like it?
3: Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to, it's okay not to have that answer. It's it. Yeah. It's also okay to go. I like this about it. I don't know if I like this about it. I don't really understand this about it. I hate this about it. I really like this, but like, it's okay. Or I just don't know yet. Right. I mean, yes, but I agree. I think that if you have, like, I think there's just a lot of, um, people on planet earth, but specifically I'll talk about musicians who have a lot of like preconceived notions of like, you can never do X Mm. on, you know, Oh, it's a, this kind of song with this kind of tempo and blah, blah, blah. You could never play this. And it's like, never, maybe you could never play it. Like, Oh man. Like, you know, you could never play it like Neil Peart. But if you like change all of the dynamics and you play it with brushes And it's got these kind of drum tones. You could play that part. And now it's not even the same thing. It's like, there's so many musicians that are, I think, coming to the table with a lot of things and then trying to, whatever they're listening to, fit it into their things. When in reality, it should be like the exact other way around. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) I I remember, um, this
1: would have been like eight years ago, something like that. Uh, I remember Mike Mitchell saying... It was like yeah you, he said somewhere he's like yeah it's you should never splash on the one. I was like you should never splash on the one? Never?
0: <laughs> never You splash. should literally never, never splash symbol on the one or, um, or yeah. like crash. Or like- I was
1: like yeah I, I was like okay I I get why that could sound cheesy in a lot of situations. <laughs> yeah. But to like make that the rule you should never splash on the one. Like that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. i like, Hmm.
2: Well,
3: then you also no. kind of
1: want to It's like, well, what well, happens ne- if I do right? Well, it's, it's, well you know, what and I, I have that to? contrary personality. If someone tells yeah, me, Oh definitely. yeah, you can't or should not ever do that. I'm like, well then you're doing my God, I'm do it. doing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I immediately went out and recorded a video splashing <laughs> on the one. I was like, I'm going to find a place where this sounds good to my ear. And I did like, yeah, yeah that sounds
0: good to me. Maybe I'm a cheese ball, I could be yeah. who knows it's easy to think that there is one correct answer mm. that's what our brains want. our brains want simplicity and we want to categorize things right. and it's easy to try and force that into a lot of situations, but um, actually helps you it can help you navigate life be having a little bit of rigidity, yeah, but I think is like if you really want to be creative. Like this is something that uh, I just saw a Mark Juliana clinic. He was in town last week. At Mom, we missed it.
2: Yeah,
3: it we was, were here
0: doing this. It was amazing. Yeah, um, it was it was really amazing. And these are thoughts that I've been trying to piece together myself for some of my students. And hearing him talk about it, I was like, yeah, okay. There's other people out there trying to like articulate this. People were talking about like how do you play from a flow state or how do you sound great or you know, how do you sound like yourself or be musical Hmm. and have your own voice and stuff like that. And one of the things that he was saying is like, don't show up with anything because that's inherently not in the moment. And the only things that feel like kinetic and engaging and like, they do that like magical thing that we want are things that like are purely in the moment. Someone is truly invested in everything that's happening. And That like really resonates with me because one of the things that I've talked about like with my students is like I feel like a lot of drummers like get their paradiddles together in their exercise ten through seventy in like stick control or whatever yeah and they sit down at the drums and they go I'm gonna play this groove from this book and this fill from this thing and blah 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 and like none of that is like music right because to me the first thing I'm gonna do is sit down at a drum set and figure out like what is this? Like I have never, there's a drum set to my right over here. I've never seen those drums in this room with those symbols ever. Right. <laughs> I don't know what that drum set sounds like. I especially don't know what mm. it sounds like in this room. Mm-hmm. Especially don't know how this room reacts to like a soft hit snare versus a rim shot snare versus like a cranking, like super hard. I don't know what any of that sounds like in this room. So there's no way by looking at a drum set to know like what would be appropriate to play. Because you don't have any information yet. And it's not until you hit the kick drum once that you're able to, depending on your experience, be able to go like, ooh, okay, like it's a boomy kick drum. So now I wanna play it like this and blah, 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 blah. And like, oh, okay, this snare drum is really dead. So now I have all these options and this stuff may not sound as good because it's not like, but all of that happens after you hit the drums. None of it yeah. happens before you hit the drums. Yeah. And hmm. I think there's a lot of people that don't ever consider that at all and essentially treat every drum set as if it's a practice pad of like, It has rebound. I'm going to do my thing. And it's like, no one you love that has like touched you and brought a tear to your eye. I don't think there's anyone that's ever done that. It elicited that from someone that like brought that much baggage to an instrument and then just sat down and like unloaded it on it. It's like, that's probably
2: not how that worked. That's such a good point.
0: Yeah. Except for maybe Buddy Rich. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah if, if buddy if buddy brought a tear to
1: anyone's eye, I think it was probably through things that he said that's interesting, just to go back to mark because I heard that he started that clinic with a rant that's what that's what Kip was saying on our on our our last podcast Remember, did you guys just have Kip one? I sat right next to him at the thing oh it's funny yeah he was he was he was, yeah. Like, he was he was great he was he came out and he started by ranting and he was like oh okay yeah and just jumped into it I'm like that what is more in the moment than that that's like i don't there's yeah. no agenda Getting just a like, feel for the like, room like that oh, just the people. coming out and and i oh i just yeah this is what i'm thinking about in this second oh yeah drums right drums okay great <laughs> that's like oh today i'm gonna play for you this i'm like that's 100 right. I and he's probably that's so much more relaxed too yeah. just have, just getting to know the audience more and as you said like the, what's actually in this room how does it Feel yeah, well. This is this is what I'm thinking and feeling right now, oh, and also I'm gonna I'm gonna say some stuff on the drums. Let's see what they they have to say with me. That's interesting. So, what do you do? In a case, so I play with this metal band called Crusade, and there's I mean I do have some room for improvisation, but the things are so they're so locked in tight. But we're playing a variety of different rooms. Rooms have different sounds. Like how how do you adjust for that? Um, it's not because even like when you're supposed to play something that's not I mean again there's some room for improvisation but there's a lot of like these are these
0: are the parts you play this here yeah I mean sometimes I think I personally have always approached everything with like you know I'll learn what like if if an artist has hired me to like play a 70 minute show or whatever I'm going to learn those songs so that whatever I show up to play is going to be true to like the thing that they're expecting it to be mm. but i am going to find every moment i can to infuse myself into it so that's most likely like a lot of the fills like sometimes there are like really signature fills that like in the air tonight it's got to be yeah that fill i played jack and diane with the band mm-hmm. f- for a long time and like never actually learned that one huge drum fill that happens in the <laughs> right. middle the and um yeah. Which is stupid. I should have, because um, now I watch footage back and I'm like, damn, that is stupid. Uh, I really should have like learned Kenny Arnoff's deal. Yeah, you kind of have to play that, that part. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't. All, I I've sometimes aired on the wrong side, but the, hey, no one that was paying me to be there ever had a problem with it. So they had a lot of other problems. Like my first show, my first show, they were like, you only have one crash symbol. You gotta have two crash symbols. And they're like, I don't feel like you're hitting the downbeat enough. Cause, and I, like, I really don't love, like, I don't really feel like most people want me to play, like, big crash cymbals on downbeats, like, more. It's just not really, yeah. like, a just thing. Just splashes, makes, right? Only splashes on downbeats. <laughs> yeah. For okay. sure. Not crash cymbals. Yep. Crash cymbals yeah. are for the ands, the e's, right. the uhs. The splash cymbals are for the downbeat. Um, <laughs> no, I just, like, I don't like crash cymbals. <laughs> a lot of the music I listen to, like, pop music does not have, like downbeat crash symbol going on so i just like try to do it in other ways like i would rather like very intensely like build up like i was just listening to a taylor swift song on the way over and like there was like a moment before the second verse where like there's all this swelling there's a ton of reverb on the vocals and then it like sucks up really small and gets really dry for the rest of the verse Mm. and i was like Mm -hmm. that's a way to like create the effect of a crash symbol by yeah. taking things away yeah, totally. mm-hmm. or going from a washy thing to a tight thing. And you don't need a crash symbol yeah. in that instance for me. So when I That's was so touring with that yeah. band, they were like, you got to hit more crash symbols. And I was like, okay. But it, it was like little stuff like that where I was like weird. And it was re- like, honestly, it was just mostly like a, an age thing where the guitar player who was like kind of the person that would always give me notes, he was, you know, probably, 13 or 14 years older than me and he's yeah. just coming from a different generation of music where he's like this is what I want or but anyway to get back to your question I feel like I'm always looking for how much can I infuse myself in it and not get in trouble which means I'm finding moments on an outro that like I can really just like go off or whatever and then in the rest of it it really is just like you can still play the same thing every night but be present while doing it and mm. the way that I do that is like take each moment each backbeat each kick drum and try to be like as intentional and consistent with it as possible yeah and i feel like there's a lot of that's something that like really revealed itself to me when i in college i played a lot on like lower broadway and i was doing the like four like the first four hour gig i ever did i was like this is the craziest thing a human being could ever do <laughs> yep and at the time i was playing with uh this was before i was with vic first so i was playing vader sticks and they had unfinished sticks they were mm. called like nude sticks or something yeah, i remember those Brought those to the first, and my hands were, I mean, just absolutely wrecked. It was like the, it was insane. (laughs) Um, But what I realized there is like at some point you have to like embrace it's kind of like running or something. Like you can't really think about like mile three when you're on the first half mile. Right. You Mm -hmm. really have to just be like be present. Yeah. 0.53 mile. 0.54 mile Mm. and be present, be thinking about like, how's my breathing? How do my knees feel? How does this all work? And just kind of try to lock into like what's happening now. And I think that a lot of drummers Maybe they're nervous, so they're thinking ahead to, like, the bridge because they're like, how does the transition on the bridge go? Yeah. Or they're like... I don't want to mess that fill up. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to mess that fill up. Or they're like, I'm, I'm bored. Like, you know, this song is slow. Like, I, I like the next tune on the set list is, like, faster. I can't wait for like. Yeah. Don't do that. Like, try to really be, <laughs> yep. respect every note that you're playing. It's like what they always say about, like, every gig is the most important gig or, like, treat every show like it's your last or whatever. Yeah. You can apply that same logic to like every note you're playing. It's like every hmm. ghost note you're playing, like of the yeah. approach of the set. Like I was I was just listening to Steph Curry talk about some of his like workouts and stuff. And he's just like he's obsessed with the details of stuff. He doesn't yes, just he, is. Up, he doesn't just put up a, a thousand shots. He tries to track not just did I make the shot or did I miss the shot? He tries to track what part of the rim that it hit as it went in? Was it on the back rim? Was mm. it on the front? Rim? Yeah. Like the more granular you get with all those little details, the more present and aware and like focus you're putting on that stuff. When you go to play in front of an entire arena, of course it looks easier for him to do it. He's thought about it four or five times deeper than most of the people that are doing it. Yeah, and that's it's what, like, like, that's why he can add in the distraction of like fans, like calling you terrible names yeah. and like, like not getting the calls that you want from the refs and like your teammate punched another teammate in the face at practice the other day and like whatever hmm. he can handle all of that stuff as distractions because he's working on a focus level that's like when when there's none of that he's working 20 times deeper than like most people are yes and like i think you can apply the same thing to drums yeah
1: you absolutely can 100%. where
0: were you watching this because i watched
1: i watched at least part of his master class
0: Oh, it wasn't his master class. He was talking about it, which I really want to see. Uh, I haven't done any of the master class stuff, but for sure, check it out, man. Well, it, it was
1: very enlightening to me because he his whole thing has been he has revolved text, his technique around when he receives the ball. He receives it from shooting position. He goes, and so in other words, he's never reaching for the ball. He catches the ball always from a position that he can. The moment it touches his hands, he can shoot. Yeah. Like, that's, when I heard that, that was insane to me. And then he starts showing game footage. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. He real everything is, be- never, ever, never reaches for it. Yeah. It's like, if I can't do it, I, can't, well, I won't catch it. I'll just, he makes
0: sure that the second it touches his hands, he's able to shoot. It's yeah. beautiful. And it makes sense. Like, you would never, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There's obviously a lot of people that haven't thought about it like that. Right. But what he's talking about to him probably seems like the equivalent of like, Well, on a gig, you would never hit your snare drum and then drop your arm to the side every single time you play your snare. You hit the snare drum and then you prepare for wherever you need to be to like hit the snare drum again. And it's like most things in life can be thought about like that. And to me, there's like a a beauty and like a like just an endless amount of like things to discover in that kind of thinking about stuff that I feel like. I don't know. I think some people like I have a, for the first time in a really long time, I have a really young student right now. I have a, a student that's, I think he's like 15. Mm. And it's been interesting to watch him because he hasn't, this is like, I, I haven't taught a beginner at drums in a really long time. And he is like three lessons in and is sounding really good, but he gets frustrated almost instantly when something doesn't work. And mm. what it's reminded me is like, how obsessed you kind of have to be of like, again, it's like, don't get frustrated about how that went. Focus on the next one and trying to make whatever adjustments required to make the next one a little bit better than the one that just happened before it. And that's not a thing that you have to assign like value judgment to, or was it good or was it bad or was it whatever. It's just like, what I wanted to do was this and here's how it differed slightly from what I intended. So can I make it what I intended? And that's really what anyone like wants. Like, when you're playing a show, you want to be able to whatever you want to do to respond to what's happening around you. You want to be able to just like do it, and that's yeah, what yeah. we're trying to prepare to do. Yeah. Do so, you, the subconscious do you, that you've talked about? Do you uh, do you meditate? I don't. Yeah. It was just a very meditative concept. I yeah. that's, that's, I, totally. I, I resonate a lot with like meditation, mindfulness. Like I read, um, being aware of being aware. I think it's the name of the book. It hmm. sounds gimmicky. It's great and. And a lot of it talks about like mindfulness and how, um, like, kind of the point of that book is he talks about how when you start learning about mindfulness, there's a lot of people that are like, "Here's what you got to do when you meditate." There's all these things, and like, you yeah. got to do all these things to get to a place where you're like not thinking about anything. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. he's like, "It's it's kind of the exact opposite. Like, yes, at all times, or like everything you're physically experiencing that is happening to you, mm-hmm. the only things that." Make up our experience our our thoughts and what happens outside of our body, and he's like those two things are happening, but there's something observing those two things, yes, and what that is is awareness, and it's always there, like it never ages, it never it like just is there, yes, and it's always there, so you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to become aware. Like you are just aware. You just have to realize that you are aware. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, well,
1: and, and, and taking away those, like you said, taking away the value judgments. Those are, that's not a, that is the barrier to entry for a lot of people with meditation. Cause go, well, oh, you know, I just can't, I just can't clear my thoughts. I'm like, man, whoever told you that, that good meditation was you clearing your mind. So there are no thoughts was like, that's like, to me, that's, Woo, woo, bullshit! Yeah, I'm like <laughs> it's irresponsible. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's irresponsible. So like, do you also meditate?
2: Uh, I've been getting into it more. I don't really have a practice, but okay. I listen to maybe somebody like I, I really respect a lot of the mindfulness and yeah. wellness, you know, advice podcasts out there. I love all these concepts, especially like the kind of bringing it back to beginning drummers and like being prepared. Because I've been reading this book, The Power of Habit, and it talks about Michael Phelps, and especially there's a lot of tie-ins with athletes and drumming. I think there's Good reason for that. A lot of the same tactics and strategies, I think, apply for success.
0: Right? Yeah, definitely.
2: I know they talk about, I mean, Michael Phelps, obviously, it was the Olympian that he is, but he, like his high school coach would just drill into him like just a crazy amount of prep and like seeing the water, seeing the lane, seeing the strokes, make him watch videotapes of him during practice, like while he was asleep, like, you know, dream, basically tell him like dream of, of this thing, right? Wow. Over and over and over and just be like hyper aware hyper prepared and then I think it was one of the Olympics where he actually set the world record his goggles had blurred up Mm. and again similar to bringing it back to like Steph Curry like those distractions like his wall was was so high that those things didn't touch him yeah he had actually like prepared for that exact thing Mm. and so he was able to like literally not panic and actually see visualize how many strokes he had left to hit the wall wow he literally couldn't see I mean what a scary concept that is right I mean, and, and that's he, like, he
0: literally won. it makes sense. I mean, the the parallel between that and Steph Curry is like the reason Steph Curry can put up shots with a defender in his face is because like he doesn't see the defender. He's still taking the shot that he's envisioned himself shoot yeah. a billion times. Right. And um, yeah, I have also read that and I think the stuff with Michael Phelps is like really fascinating because um, like part of what he talks about is like, preparing for a race. He like listens to the same music has like adjust his goggles Mm -hmm. or cap all like the same way every single time. And it reminds me of a couple of years ago, I was at a mini Greb clinic and he, someone asked him like, what does he do to warm up? Was that the one at rocket town? Yeah.
1: God, I'm so sad. I missed
0: that. (laughs) I know. See, Um, I, I've, these are like the two drum clinics I've seen in the last like ten years, and I feel like I'm always the one that's like, damn, I really wish I could have been at that. Mm. Like when Dave Weckl did a clinic a couple of years ago, I was like, Dave Weckl did a clinic? <laughs> why did? Why was I not yeah, right. told about this? Um, but Benny said, like, someone asked him, like, what do you do to warm up? And this is very similar to stuff that I've done, specifically like when I'm playing a show. Hmm. i'd never heard anyone articulate because most people when they're like what do you do to warm up they're like well i got my practice pad 20 minutes before and i'm doing my paradiddles. Yeah. diddles and, <laughs> and that's cool like uh, there's a physical component of getting ready to play that depending on the kind of music you play and the environments you play in that yeah. can be really important but then he was like well what i do is I, I try to you know get quiet for a little bit and I try to envision where i'm about to play and think through like what it'd be like to walk on stage and sit down and thing i'm going to play first and like just essentially doing the michael phelps thing of like what's it going to look like envision what a successful engagement will be from wherever you're sitting in the green room right now to playing the show Mm. and i think that that is something especially like a lot of the stuff that i do touring wise now is like i'll come in and do like a run of three shows subbing for someone and like the last one i did like we flew in i never met anyone in the band we played 70 minutes. It had tracks. It had Ableton. It had the whole thing. And it's like, you sit down, you play the 70 minutes the first time in a city that you've never been to with people you've never met with a drum set you've never seen. And it's like to do that successfully, I need to be able to, Walk through what the scenario is like. Like, what's it going to be like to walk out? Like, where's the laptop going to be? Like, when I press spacebar, mm-hmm. what happens in the laptop? Oh, yeah, there's like a little intro track. I'm going to be behind the drums when it happens. And then I'm going to sit down. The rest of the band's going to walk out. I'm going to hear that part of the song that makes me know that we have four bars before we get like walking through all of that. Like, it seems uh, goofy uh, or it seems much, like maybe. that's a lot or, oh, bro, you hit spacebar and like it'll, it has the count in and whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, but, but what if it doesn't? you know i was like what else <laughs> should you be aware of so that if it doesn't like how have they mapped the ableton session to know like what's muted what's not muted like you know have you double checked all of that like again like the more prepared the more detailed you can be the more like you've thought through the f- levels of how however deep you want to go like the more people can throw at you before you start to feel imbalanced it's like like a You're walking on a tight tight rope, yeah. It's like the more you can walk through all that stuff, it's like, yeah, it seems goofy, but but then like I've played festivals for like thousands of people while the ears are cutting in and out. And like, there's one dude on stage, it was literally this the the last song we played because it like so it started pouring rain. It was like it was like clear skies when we got up there. We're on our like fourth song, we're counting off our fourth song, and literally it was like. Over the last two minutes of the last song, it was like, oh, it is about to get real. So, like, <laughs> there were probably like 8,000 people watching us as we started playing. And then, like, when it started raining, there were like a 1,000 people watching. Like, people That's just right. bailed. They yeah. bolted, yeah. So, we're playing, and like, the, this song that we were playing, the producer was there and he didn't have ears, but he played bass. So, like, we were like, let's bring him up. He'll play bass. It'll be cool. So, like, we start playing. So I'm already, no matter what, going to have to, we are all on ears and there's no wedges on stage. So I knew I was already going to have to like help him through because we have tracks and the whole thing. So I was like, I'm really going to have to make sure that me and Phil are watching each other and I'm helping him know what's going on. And then it's starting to rain and it's like, oh God. And now I'm like, my computer might be getting wet. My SPD might be getting wet. Phil doesn't have ears. And then the harder it's raining, like we have RF interference and like ears are literally zapping out for like, a measure and a half Oof. and then coming back and then whatever so like the whole thing was just like <laughs> it's falling apart yeah but i it's weird i was like so present for it and so committed to let's just fucking do it like yeah it's all happening let's do it and i really just locked in it's like those goofy exercises where you're like I used to, in college, like, practice where, like, it would play two measures of click and then it would drop out for, like, eight measures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you try to, you know. Gap click, baby! Yeah, gap click. All the little games are, like, playing with the metronome on the E or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, say that, yeah. All that stuff is, like, fun and games and it's, like, cool and it does help your internal time. But, like, there's also, like, again, you don't have to do any of that to, like, go play a show for right. sure. So it's not like you need those skills, but if you're willing to like go there, there will be moments where you, it pops so up. It's going to serve go you like, so well.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Well, it's almost like being overly prepared is just, it's not
2: because you, cause like I'm sure the drum parts weren't challenging. It's not like you couldn't play. It's not like you couldn't run an Ableton. It right. It's to prepare you for when things go awry. Right. Then you're calm. Yeah. You know, it's like when, when the defenders in Steph's face, he just does his thing. You know? Yeah. He's not shaken by it.
1: Yeah he's planned for that exact thing to happen and practiced exactly what he would do. Okay, great. That's option five of the things that I figured would occur during this game. And I've practiced this 10 billion times. So, (laughs) sweet. (laughs) So the moral here is is practice a lot.
2: Not just rudiments. Like, practice. I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, before a show, I actually will visualize, I'll listen to the song and just close my eyes and actually just play the parts. Just like yeah. feel how, how it's gonna feel. Yeah, how, me visualizing the kit in the venue. Yeah. what that's gonna be like. You know, am I close to the bar or people? Am I gonna know? Am I gonna have friends and family there? Because that's a whole other thing that can mess you up. You know, sure. All those things, all the non drumming things. Yeah. yeah,
1: imagine. I think it's good to imagine somebody that you would be nervous to play in front of mm. coming in. You know, like like so how yeah how would I re- respond if so and so walked in the room? I don't want to be like oh shit that's my adrenaline just spiked and I am not prepared for this. I'm going to be like, Oh, cool. I foresaw that as a possibility. (laughs) And (laughs) you can, you can kind of insert anybody like that. There's probably like at least a hundred people where if they walked in the room, I would recognize them and be like, well, holy shit. That's really something. I'm like, I'll just put any one of those people in that slot in my brain and you can do that exact thing. And And when somebody like that walks in, you go, Right on. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is uh, from
2: Jojo Mayer. I don't want to think about my wings when I'm flying. Wow. When I fly, I think that's what it is.
1: That's such a Jojo thing to say. Kind of summarize
2: what we're talking about. Just like being so prepared that you're not thinking about the thing. Like when you're running, you're not thinking about the individual steps necessarily or the next few miles. You know, it's like you're just so ready for it and it's natural, comfortable.
1: Well, I know know I've used this example before, so forgive me, but. It's uh, all. I always go to that Tony Robbins story where he was coaching Andre Agassi. Mm. This was post Andre being at the top of the tennis game, where he kind of he went, he bought, he was bombing for a while, and he was like, "Yeah, there's a problem with my backswing." So I've been really focusing on that. And Tony was like, "Yeah, that's great, that's great." Uh, so when you were number one, were you thinking about your backswing? No, like, cool. So why are you thinking about it right now? Yeah, like do you really think that it's like it needs to improve that you lost some ability there or do you think that maybe it's a mindset thing? oh shit yeah I've been thinking about my backswing because maybe he maybe he missed and it got he got in his own head about it and then as as soon as he got out of his own head he started winning again like that's mm-hmm. you can get you can get start thinking about your wings when you're flying you're like, oh man yeah my feathers they feel, <laughs> they feel weird
0: yeah and I don't think about this <laughs> I was picturing you as a bird. That was good. Easy to picture me as a bird. The hair, yeah. It's like when you have like a really full cup of coffee. You're trying to walk to the next room. Generally, thinking the thought, "Oh man, I really should not spill this right now." Usually, doesn't lead to a hundred percent success rate (laughs) of not spilling it. Usually, it just (laughs) makes you exactly. That all makes me think. I've told this story a bunch in like different places, but I had the honor of studying with chester thompson when i was in college and he's like the best yeah and um you're a belmont grad right mm-hmm. yeah. so he was there when i was there and i was studying with him and he he just makes you do all kinds of weird all kinds of weird stuff like the first thing he does in seminar like <laughs> you're a freshman you just moved to nashville you're going to school you're in drum seminar which is just all the like all the drum set majors are in one room So it's like 50, 60 drummers in a room, which is intimidating in and of itself. (laughs) No personality, it doesn't sound like, Like, it's just like, that's already a thing, but you're a freshman, you're new on campus, you didn't even know where the building was until you got there. And then you're sitting there and like, now you're aware that like all the freshmen are in the front and all the cool seniors are in the back, like goofing off. And like, it's this whole dynamic where you're just like, Jesus, I, this is terrible. I hate this. And then Chester's like, all right, welcome everyone. First day, this is what we're going to do. All the freshmen are going to get up and we're going to totally flip around the entire drum set to a left-hand drum set. And yeah, you're gonna play. that's what Kip said too. He, yeah, he makes yeah. you play a basic rock beat and then a basic jazz beat. But the basic rock beat, you have to end with a crash cymbal and a kick drum on one or whatever. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So he was always having people do that. And like in our lessons, he would just have you do real weird, like crazy coordination things. And he would always then make you learn it right-hand lead and then left-hand lead. And I remember there was a week where I was trying to play this, like I practiced a lot and like, it always felt good in a practice room. And then I'd get in lessons and I just sounded like absolute, like people falling downstairs. Like it sounded like nothing. (laughs) And um, I can remember one lesson I was just getting frustrated and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like I did practice like, well, and he was just like thinking too much. Yes. Stop thinking. (laughs) And I was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Like the feet are doing this and the hands and he's like, stop thinking, just listen. Because what I didn't know at that point is like, I've practiced it enough. Like I do know what it's supposed to sound like. And if I literally just start listening to what's happening, depending on my preparedness, like it is possible for my brain to correct what I can't like. Cause like, there's a lot of things happening very fast when you're playing drums Yes, and like, there are times when like thinking about what should change and what needs to change will help. And there are times where like your ears and your brain will just kind of route around the like prefrontal cortex and just kind of like make it happen if you'll let it happen. Yes. And like there were then moments after that, like I can remember I was playing a concert and I had this solo and like, you know, I was nervous and you know, During rehearsal, I'd always be thinking like, man, you know, when I was practicing, like this thing worked and this thing. So I'm going to make sure I get those things in there or whatever. Then during the concert, I can remember there was a point in like halfway through my solo where I just had this moment of like, oh, (laughs) playing the solo. Like, and up until that point, I hadn't thought about like, solos coming up. Like, we're going to play the solo. Like, let's make sure we play some cool stuff. Like, it's just like really me realizing I was fully present, which then at that point breaks you being fully present. But like, still yep. it was this true, thing true. on stage where I have a, like a really visceral memory of like the concert and having the thought halfway through a solo of like, oh yeah, it's all just kind of happening if I let it. <laughs> but there's a lot of ways to not let it. What's that you
1: said? You want to learn how to play drums, but you don't know where to begin? Let me humbly suggest to you that you head on down to Music Lab Nashville and you talk to their crew of fantastic teachers and you jump on in and start your music journey right there don't want to learn drums? want to learn guitar? ukulele? mandolin? trumpet? vocals? keys? sitar? maybe not sitar but all the other stuff for sure visit nashville.musiclab.co to learn more and sign up
0: for a free trial lesson I mean, the biggest compliment I ever get, and every time it happens, I'm like, man, amazing. If someone's like, man, I, lo- I love it. Like You like you look so relaxed. You're like, man, you look so like carefree up there. Like, Or like, man, it sounds so effortless. It's like, thank you. That's, yeah, that's the only really, thing that I yeah. could have
2: wanted someone to say. Yeah. Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I like as name. a
0: segue into
2: another quote from Aaron Sterling, which is, Tim is the transcription master of our time. <laughs> Grab that for <from> your website. <laughs> so there, that might be a good compliment too, right? That'd That's be up there. Fr- yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, people definitely know you and you're very well respected in the drumming community mm-hmm. for... I'll um, do a notch more.
1: Yeah, why not? Oh yeah, so a little um, bourbon break.
0: Yes, the drumming community, absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah, they know you yes. as they should for a lot of different reasons, specifically transcriptions. I want to go into, you know, where that started and mm-hmm. kind of your mindset on... Because you're not transcribing simple grooves. I mean, you you can, but for those, I mean, for those unfamiliar, you know, we'll link to some of those videos, but some of the Zildjian live videos and and drum solos that are very, very involved. And you've actually transcribed some of my work too. So thank you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I, um, yeah. So like, I I guess I'll as brief as I can go through my whole spiel with transcriptions. (laughs) So I couldn't up until like halfway through college, I couldn't super read music. I like was getting my ass kicked in auditions cuz I couldn't I really couldn't read like big band charts and like cuz big band charts require you to like interpret notation and fill around figures and I really couldn't do that. And then I just had like a basic understanding of eighth notes and quarter notes and whatever because when I started playing I just taught myself and by the time I started taking lessons my playing was so far ahead of reading. I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just not going to be a reader yeah. cuz it just doesn't seem like it's going to be worth backtracking that mm-hmm. far to try and catch that up yeah but when i got to college ha- about halfway through is when i really started to realize like my inability to read music well is now keeping me from like if you want to learn 40 songs in 48 hours your charting ability really will be what determines whether you can do that or not mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. um that was part of it. And then there was also like halfway through college is really when I started getting into a bunch of drummers that like, there just wasn't a ton of like people on YouTube being like, here's a lesson breaking down this person's fill or this person's fill or whatever. So I was like, okay, uh, I think I'm just going to have to sit down and try and figure out what they're doing. So that started in college. And then I just very slowly, like it was a skill that I really, again, I just really got passionate about like the fun puzzle of like sitting down and trying to work out like, what was it? And then like trying to write it in finale and then hitting play in finale and being like, Oh shit, that's not it. For yeah, sure. That's not I, it. I have the same kind of, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's how I, that's literally the like, you whole know, workflow. The, you
2: know, there's a solution. It's like your job to figure it out. Yeah. Like, it's you, your you job you to figure it yeah. out. Like, this is a thing. Yeah. What is it? Totally. Sometimes and there's more than one answer too. you know, the interpretation of part <laughs> of transcription <laughs> or how is, you notate
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely something that I have learned firsthand in those, some of those VF jams things. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I just started doing it a bunch in college, and then like I would I would upload them to my website, just like no, no, no I thought it was fun. Like I'll put it here, like whatever. And then like after I graduated, I'd be on the road, and I would just like be in the back of the bus working on a transcription because I was like I can't really practice. Like this is a way to like still be nerdy about drums, whatever. And then just posting them on my website enough to where a couple people would reach out and be like, hey, like I downloaded this from your website, but like have you ever transcribed this or blah blah blah? And then like found a couple of like really like niche nerdy people that would just always kind of like every couple of weeks or every couple of months come back and be like, Hey man, really want you to transcribe. Hey man, really love you transcribe that was this, me. man. Yeah. yeah. So then like, of
2: course the brand started, is that probably what propelled you to that next level of attention? Would you yeah, say?
0: I mean, I think that like the more people started finding stuff, the more I realized like, Oh, there's like really like a thing here for this. And then, um, in doing that, I was just kind of accumulating all this. Like some of them, I was like passionate and transcribed it because I loved it. Someone was just like, someone saw some video that was like going viral and they like wanted it done. But I was like, man, I'm kind of like stockpiling all this stuff. And mm-hmm. um, when I signed with Vic Firth, I just kind of mentioned to them like, Hey, by the way, like I transcribe and like, I've done some transcriptions of like, you know, whoever they had on their roster. And I was like, if that would ever be like beneficial for you guys, like, let me know. And like, they just, We're like, that's cool. Yeah. They probably didn't realize
2: it yet. They they literally
0: were like, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Like they couldn't foresee how that could be a thing. Yeah. And then, um, you know, some time went by and I'd be like, oh, by the way, like I just transcribed like this transcription and blah, blah, blah. Like it's a really cool video. Like if you guys want me to like edit a video together or like you guys want to use it, like feel free or whatever. And they'd be like, yeah, that's uh, thanks for sending it. But like, uh, I don't know. But cool. Like, thanks for sending it. Yeah. And then when the VF Jams project came around, that's when Mark reached out to me and was like, Hey, can I have this idea of like, we got all these cool performances and like, what if we transcribe like a couple bars from like one of them? And then that just turned into like, what if we transcribe every <laughs> single, single moment of all of them? <laughs> and like, uh, shit, what have yep. I done? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I cannot express how thankful I am for that project because it, Like I just, Vinnie Greb just released a course that I did a bunch of transcriptions for. And like, I've gotten to work with like Steve Smith who I grew up loving. And like, it's insane. There's just like so many people (sighs) I've gotten to work with like Aaron Sterling and Aaron Spears and like all these people that like, and again, this is like an idea I had like just from like a, if you want to do music as a living, there's like definitely going to be a lot of moments where like you, you hear no a lot. And like that, isn't necessarily like a no you're bad at this or no you're wrong for this, but it can just be like, not right now, which a lot of people have said that's not an original thought, but like yeah. with like the Aaron Sterling book, I reached out to him and was like, Hey man, I want to do this book. Do you want to do it? And he was like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like transcriptions are my thing. Like, uh, it seems like you got a cool thing going, but I, I don't know. And then <laughs> I did some VF jams stuff, did a book with Aaron Spears. And then Came back to him and I was like, hey man, I have like, I've done these projects now. And I did this book with this guy. And like, I, I really think like, if this is what it could look like. And he was like, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And for him, it wasn't like, he really just like, doesn't do transcription thing at all. So for him, he literally was just like, I just, I don't even know what this would look like. Yeah. But then once he could see yeah. what it would look like, he could see that there were people interested. He was like, oh yeah. And I think that, um. Man, yeah, sometimes be, that's all it takes
2: just for people, for brands, for individuals just to see that vision, totally. you know, cause it's, it's otherwise it's just an, an abstract idea. Yeah. You know, they can't see the benefit.
0: Yeah. It can be hard to hear, know a lot, but for me, some of the stuff that I've like worked the hardest at is the stuff that I just like and yeah. like pursuing that stuff it's the same with like now with like all the studio stuff I'm doing. Like I, I started doing it cause someone was like, Hey man, you got some mics. Like, could you record a drum thing for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then the more that I got into it, the more I was like, just kind of became obsessed with like, just how deep you can go with all of it. and mm. Not even like gear and all that stuff. Like just how many choices you get to make when you put drums on a song or when you, like we were talking about earlier, when you program drums on a song, yeah. like, You get to make so many decisions and there are so, so, so many levels of it. And there are so many, for me, the thing that I'm like falling in love with is like, there's so many ways you can infuse yourself on it to where someone will be able to listen to just your like, they'll be able to know it's your stomp clap on one and two and not someone else's just by the way that like, whether it's exactly where it's placed or the kind of sounds you picked or how you treated those sounds, they're able to go like, that's why we're all able to listen to pretty much any Aaron Sterling video and be able to be like, it's Aaron. It's Aaron. Yep. That's why we're able to listen to like Jeff Picard and be like, it's Jeff Picard. It's because like everything they do, they're putting them in it, mm-hmm. whether it's the whole groove or whether it's literally just like, I want this kick drum to be perfect for this song. Here's what I think that means. Yep. Like there's so many ways that you can do that when you're recording a song and just have gotten obsessed with it.
2: Yeah, it's cool. I feel like everything's that we're talking about is connected, right? Because it seems like the transcriptions is almost like the reversal of this process of all that detail, all that mm-hmm. uh, preparation of the parts, whether it's the, the VF live or just a drum groove or a drum solo and all that work. And then the thrill for you and I shared this as well as I really, you know, I enjoy doing transcriptions of just my stuff. Yeah, but then to kind of unpack it and see what actually that detail would look like. See it on paper. You know, I think that's what sets your transcriptions apart as well. Just like you make it very accessible because how many other drummers can transcribe, right? We see that all the time, but you transcribe things that people wouldn't even think of, of doing, right? Like drum solos.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's been interesting to become like, so known for the transcription thing. And it's been interesting to like develop eBooks and products that are like about transcriptions of people. Because I think that, there's a lot of people, like the phenomenon I noticed when I started selling transcription books is like, there's a lot of people that just like collect transcription books. Yes. And that's like, <laughs> that's no judgment. Like, I thank God for them. Like, <laughs> yeah, <right>. They're, they're <laughs> how I make a living or yeah. at least part of it. Yep. But what I think is interesting is like my intention when I started transcribing in college was never like, I want to transcribe this seven minute song and I want to learn note for note, this seven minute song. What I wanted to do is I wanted to transcribe this one Calvin Rogers fill and then figure out. I bet I can guess the one. It's all of them. (laughs) It really is all of them. (laughs) Like for for real. I've transcribed like every Calvin Rogers fill you can think of. God, I love his drumming. He is perfect. Um, But (laughs) uh, so. Like, I love his drumming so much. And, like, I I would transcribe one fill. And then my intention with that one fill was, like, let me learn exactly what that fill is. And then let me play with it long enough, mess around with it long enough, work on variations long enough to, like, make it a thing that I can call my own. And I think what a lot of people are doing with transcribing now is, like, it's so fun that, like, you can go to my website right now and download literally, it's like all the VF Jams and Zildjian Live stuff it's like 130 pages of like (laughs) notation. Yeah. Like you can download that for free right now. And it's going to be so cool that you have 10 lifetimes of like drum stuff you can work through. But like what would be more valuable is you yourself transcribing one drum fill and then spending the next six months working through different ways that you can permutate and like, flip on its head this one drum fill right mm-hmm. but um, and spoiler alert that's what the dudes that you really like probably did in some form or another absolutely like that that just like i ended up talking to Mark Julian about that a good bit and like yeah it was it was interesting to hear his take on it because he was essentially like <laughs> he was almost like yeah man i just like i don't think these are not his words but the sentiment was kind of like, yeah, no one should like literally transcribe anything. Right. What you should do is like observe someone doing something. And this is actually like when I was like 12, this is what I would do with Dennis Chambers. I would watch Dennis Chambers and go, that was cool. Why was that cool? Yeah. Okay. It was a lot of like Tom stuff really fast, <laughs> but it wasn't just Tom stuff really fast. It started on the snare. Then it went to the rack tom, and then it was on the floor time. Then it came back around. So that's kind of cool. How did he do it? <laughs> I wouldn't literally transcribe what he was playing, but I would try to like unpack the larger concept of like specifically what I found cool about that moment. And mm-hmm. then I would work from there and I would figure out my own thing. And like, I think you can arrive at that same thing from a literal transcription of something. You yeah. just have to like have a process of working it from the exact thing that someone mm-hmm. else played. Mm-hmm. Th- run it through all your filters to turn it into it's no different than manipulating a sample from a sample pack, though. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of songs that I work on for people now that I send out, and they might be like, I have samples that kind of sound like that, but I don't know what sample pack this one came from. Because I'm hoping that by the time, even if it's like adding just a touch of reverb on a sample to quite to blend it into the track that I'm working on, and then also just adding a little bit of saturation so it carves off a little bit. It's like doing just enough that it takes it from the stock thing that someone downloads from splice or from that sound or whatever, where once it reaches through my brain and I send it to someone else, they go like, Oh, that sounds like Tim. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's the same with working with samples or it's the same with taking a paradiddle diddle that Calvin Rogers played and totally working, working through it yourself. Like it, you can work on similar mechanisms that like assure that like you are always sounding like you. Yeah. So it's helpful to see that blueprint and that's what you provided. That's what the transcriptions are
2: useful for. Totally. Let me see what is actually here. Yeah. But then it's up to each individual to to have
0: a process to extrapolate and make it it their own. And I've tried with like, so with my Aaron Spears and Aaron Sterling transcription books, I've tried to make sure that I include of like a, it's kind of like a video masterclass of like, here's, like six categories you can look at and glean like bigger more I think more valuable like overarching themes of these and Mm. how you can then take that knowledge and work through some of this stuff yourself because I just at some point I started feeling really weird about just being like buy these little black dots on this page and then feel better about (laughs) your drumming And I I don't think that's like I want to make sure that there's at least some kind of like you said like blueprint of like Here's a jumping off point of how you can take what's in here with these ideas and start mm-hmm. to, like, bend them and twist them into, like, your own thing. So, yeah. so you kind of get a
1: meta <sighs> understanding of that player's playing, more so than even just understanding what notes they played. Mm-hmm. Yes. that's really cool. I like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned so much from transcribing those drummers because like at some point you start here especially like if you're working on a whole book of a drummer like mm-hmm. at some point you're no longer because everybody has like their tricks a lot of the tunes you're playing are like kind of like for the verse of the song it's like 16 bars of almost the same thing so then you start hearing past that and you start mm-hmm. going like man every time they play like this kind of fill they actually start with their left hand kind of weird why mm-hmm. and you go like oh well it preserves the like rim shot backbeat better like that oh okay that's kind of interesting <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it's little stuff like that that you then start going like now i'm not just learning an abstract sticking that i should learn because that's how they did it i'm now learning a sticking that's rooted in like a principle of like when i play this fill i want to preserve the backbeat so i start it with two right hands and then that next Sticking is a left hand because now the backbeat is like with the left hand and that's the one that's more used to the backbeat. And it's like, okay, there you go. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have to memorize a sticking because now it just naturally makes sense because I know why they did it. Yeah. Mm, yep. That's all in there, man. Like that's, <laughs> that's all there for the taking. But again, you have to like, you have to think past just like the right, left, right, 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 left, right, left, left. Like all of that stuff is worthless if you're not trying to apply something bigger to yeah. it. It's almost like the stickings just, just happens to be what they ended up using
2: for, like you said, for that principle that in a bigger context is more important. Yeah. You know,
0: for the song. Totally. I mean, a better question is always why, yeah. not yeah. what. Mm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think that a why lot of what? drum reason, and I'm guilty, certainly guilty of putting out a YouTube video or two of this, but like what matters so much less than why. And it's like if you know the why, sometimes you can even guess what. The what is without knowing it because you know why. Like, if you, say like deep, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like if you, Preach. Know, if, yep. if someone describes to you a play that Steph Curry did, and you go like, "Well, it was this and this and this and this," and then it, like, he finished going left. Oh, is that because the screen was here and not here? Like whatever. It's like sometimes you can, if you understand the why of decision making, then you can. It's like so, so many people are like, "Here's how you tune your snare drum for rock and roll," and it's like what. Hey, tune your snare drum to rock and roll. That's been done in infinite amount of ways. What are you talking about? Bro? Like what, what are you talking about? Like, what a worthless... Um, yeah, but here are the pitches. <laughs> I have it right here. Yeah, like, what a worthless way to approach something that's like, like, here's, like, a better video would be, here's how to, like, tune your snare drum to, like, oh, I don't know. See, and that's why people Here's how it. to play musically in a rock setting. Is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or like how, to, like how to tune a snare drum to, you know, enable better ghost notes. Mm. That's like a more worthwhile <laughs> pursuit of like, yeah. I want a snare drum where these ghost notes are going to cut through. So, like, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, no, hey, yeah, I, flipping <laughs> that mindset. I, I was yeah. just
1: talking about this on Saturday because I had a, a drummer watching me from offstage. As soon as I got off, he was like, dude, you sound so good, man. And, what snare is that? I'm like, oh, it's pork pie. So it's the classic. I've like, got the Evans hybrid the head on question. it. Like, he's like, it's "Is yeah. that Kevlar?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> man." And it's like, it's kind of. I mean, it's still somewhat resonant, but it's just enough dead where. It's Wait, what nice what because, Kevlar do you have? We got the hybrid head on there on a snare drum. Yeah, it's a mission, man. I'll bring it in here when we're when we're done, Lord, dude. A it, Kevlar it's, head on yeah, your it's, snare it's, drum. Yeah, it's the hybrid's good it comes for straight
0: off the football
1: field. It's the, <laughs> the hybrid sounds Broadway's good for either. Too far off. But the thing is, like, I'm playing, and I said it him, I was like. I play so many notes that it is Mm. nice to have a little
0: more attack and less resonance. Now we're talking. Yeah. Like I'm playing a lot of notes. Yes. That's the exact, like what's the best snare drum head? Yeah. What a pointless question. If there's no context given (laughs) as to like for a jazz gig where you're playing quietly, but you want resonance or for a rock gig where you're just slamming and you need to make sure that like it can cut through and, live through five nights of being on the road like yep. mm-hmm. context in asking why is often a much better route to actually get the answers you want the reason people don't do it the reason I don't do it is because it's much harder to like do that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> than just like show up and be like oh so that was like a paradoodle did oh sick dude <laughs> like that's much easier it's much easier much to ask easier. oh what
2: snare was that
1: okay yeah, this is think... the answer cool Add yes. the cart that's but, easy you can't get. I don't think. Maybe. Well, maybe you can. But to serve what you are, what you are doing, and to not belittle what you're doing, I think. I think the way that you derive why, or the the way that you can begin to understand someone's why, is by understanding their what. Like, if you, if you don't know even what they're doing, then you probably can't. really, You can't yeah, get totally. Yeah. Why? Exactly. Like totally. Well, why would you do that? Well, there's. That's not even a question. You can.
0: Begin to ask if you don't know what the hell is happening. <laughs> did you yeah. Do what? yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And that is really important. I remember when I had a uh, name drop, when I had Aaron Sterling on my podcast, one of the mm-hmm. things he said, like, because I was just really focused on, like, it's all about, like, the sound, man. It doesn't matter, like, what, like, what sticking you're using. Blah. He was like, yeah, but, like, so, like, you do have to, like, <laughs> you do have to have a period where you are working on, like, yeah. your paradiddles or, like, you are focusing on, that side of it like yes everyone's in a different spot with their drumming with their music with their life not everybody wants to listen to like me pontificate about like philosophical shit that they don't like they're like oh i actually just bought a drum set like last week like i actually (laughs) don't know what a paradiddle is yeah i i actually do maybe need to only focus on like what a paradiddle is right right now
2: Talk to us about, and this is a concept that I've brought up and I've quoted you a few times on this podcast. Ooh. The concept of this is meta. Concept of deep work. Okay. Because again, in, in the segue from the transcriptions and just your work ethic, you know, you're not just uploading a few transcriptions in a year. I mean, you, you're pumping these out at least, maybe during the thick of it, like pretty quickly and like very efficiently. I know that some of the projects that I've hired you for have, have also been that way. So, kind of, I'd love to hear you briefly talk about like your work ethic and that, again that concept of deep work and because it's something that's needed for such granular work such as transcriptions. Right?
0: Yeah, that's cool to hear and I think like one of the things that I have, I, I think I have a, a natural inclination and in brain for like efficiency hmm. um, and again, a lot of the stuff I focus on now is like, like de-prioritizing efficiency because I've spent most of my life focusing on like got to be quicker, got to be harder working, got to be like, just get after it, man. You got to fine tune the, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it's like, but like, nah. We actually don't <laughs> necessarily no. need to trim seven minutes off our grocery trip. Like, it'll be fine. We actually can just like, <laughs> yeah burn the seven minutes doing it this way because it's like easier. We actually like, don't need to like, efficient ties are like grocery trip it'll, it'll be fine
1: <laughs> you get a, actually the scenic route is okay sometimes
0: yeah yeah so i do want to caveat all of this with yeah. like even like the name of my podcast your good get better comes from like this whole like it's comes from Mad Men and it comes from this whole like to me that quote resonates with me because i like you can always do something better you can always be a little more efficient you can always be whatever and i think for me one of the things i'm always looking for is like what is a little thing I can do to trim off a redundant chink in the workflow? What's what's something that, like, to me, I'm engineering a session tomorrow and I have to track a song for someone tomorrow. And then I have, like, a couple other lessons or whatever. Like, it's actually really beneficial to me to be able to, when I need to, take a song from they send it to my email to I'm sending them stims. It's, like, really beneficial for me to have, like, that really ironed out and really quick because again maybe my sounds are better than someone else but if it takes me four and a half weeks to get that song back to the producer they're like cool dude you can have the best sounds in the world I don't have a month to wait for your like stems back sorry mm-hmm. so having a Pro Tools template that is like bulletproof where like yeah. everything makes sense like sometimes it really is as simple as like I know it's going to be lame take take two hours on a Saturday where you have nothing going on and build a Pro Tools template that is just like, okay, when I'm tracking, here's, again, think through all the stuff like we were talking about or think through everything. Yeah, like, same
2: principles. So they,
0: they send us the song and like, you know, I should, I have a separate bus for this and blah, 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 blah. like, you know, I, I need these inputs here and like, you know, sometimes I want to track like percussion so I need that like just floating down there and active and like, you know, sometimes I do Tom Overdub so let's actually just build out a Tom Overdub little section here I can engage it when I need it. Like whatever, like those two hours are not something you're going to be like thrilled about doing, but it might literally save you like the, the amount of time it could possibly save you is like Mm -hmm. insane. And so for transcribing for me, the way that I got quicker at it was I realized that most people, what they're doing is in transcribing is like, you know, you have your song that you're transcribing, pull it up in iTunes or whatever, quick time player and you hit play, you listen you pause, write out some stuff, mm. flip back over to iTunes, scroll back, hit play, listen to it, pause it, flip back over to Finale, tweak it a little bit, flip back over. Like Every time you're flipping between programs, every time you're having to rewind the song and find where you were at to try and listen to what it and play it again, all of that is like minute by minute. You're just accumulating just so much wasted time. So what I was like, In college, what I realized is like, I need a program that I can slow stuff down Mm -hmm. and loop it infinitely. And that way, if I need to listen to one beat of the song or one measure of the song or four bars of the song, if I'm charting a song, I can loop it and it's just gonna loop and I don't have to do anything and I can just figure it out. So, like, when I'm transcribing, and I have like a couple of YouTube videos because I felt like this was something I've I've definitely never heard anyone talk about. Mm. So, I just kind of walk through, like, I literally just set up a one-bar loop and loop it infinitely until I figure out yeah. what the measure is. And you have it, I like, move 30% speed, right? I mean, just, when you yeah, say slow, it's like, like so it all depends. depends, like, how complex it and is, And that's right? something that I've actually, like, in, in transcribing, I've actually now tried to, like, I try to hover at, like, 80% speed for most of what I'm transcribing now, because at this point, I'm like, I just want to get better at, like, you know, there's, you I mean, want your processor stronger. Yeah. 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 Like I want to be able to, yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear better. I want to hear quicker. But ultimately, yes. ultimately yeah. if the faster it is, the quicker it'll get done. Right? Yeah. that Accurately. Yeah, of course. Maybe. But kind may, of. Yeah. But like when, you, sure when you're talking, threshold. when things aren't in linear time, which like transcribing something isn't in linear time, it's just like sometimes slower speeds actually do yield like faster results because you're able to hear things mm-hmm. more clearly. Right. Um, in, in fewer plays. But now I'm trying to like keep things quick because I want to still. It's just like, you know, I have no shame about taking it to 20% speed if right. I need to. Yeah. But at this point, it's just kind of like one of the nerdy things where I'm like, well, I don't know, might as well just like try and try. You're just trying to level up. Speed. Yeah. 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 That's, <laughs> the, <guy>. well, that's,
1: <laughs> yep. that's the, the. So Andre Neary, when you know, he, he played guitar with Virgil on the tour that I, I teched for him. And I, I remember one day they were talking about him and Chris Clark, the piano player talking about listening to and learning other people's parts. And I just I'm just like I'm just a fly on the wall listening to them in the back of the van and did you ever slow down parts and learn them like that? No. I'm like these guys never slowed down parts. That's like inhuman to me. I'm like, I for sure have been slowing down parts right. since <laughs> yeah. forever. Same. Like that's what that's what I that's the way I did it. I'm like, or well, not not everything, but whenever I get confused, I'm like hey look, YouTube. And way before YouTube, people were doing this on record players they would you could set your record player to play things slower or yeah. people would do they would stack quarters I heard of people doing that with Buddy Rich uh records they would stack quarters on huh. it so it spins slower Oh my god and they would take it I'm like that's slower. brilliant that's yeah. awesome So that's been happening forever but there are people out there with yeah. freaking crazy ears I'm like so that's that's cool that you're doing you're like okay I'm going to try to hover at 80 cuz I don't I don't want to have to
0: go <laughs> Yeah no. I mean yeah. I don't know what it like I don't know what it does. I just know that I haven't done it that way before. So, we'll. I'll also do it that way. It's.
1: I, I'll, I, I know what it does. I mean, I don't know maybe the
0: exact process of what it
1: does, but it. it's what you said. You're like, I want to hear faster. Yeah.
0: yeah. It will.
1: That will yeah. make
0: you hear faster. I mean, one of the th- speaking of Jojo Mayer, one of the things that he said, something to the effect of like, uh, drumming isn't always about how fast you can play. It's about how fast you can hear. Yes, And I like... That's great too. Truly believe that. But mm-hmm. sorry, so to get back to your thing about like deep work. Oh, you're good, yeah. So yeah. like I try to trim as much fat off of any process <laughs> as I have because I think yeah. that and, and again, sometimes like you need to take the scenic route but sometimes often we aren't taking a true stock of like where exactly where all our time goes and like one of the things that I've started doing is like most days when I'm working my phone is either across the room on a bookshelf or or across the room on a bookshelf inside a book that looks like a book, but it's actually a safe. Ah. That when you open the book, it's like a safe in there and you can I literally lock my phone there in you a go. safe.
2: I've heard of people doing wow. that. So
0: and actually yeah. the so I used to I started keeping my phone far away from my desk when I was working a while ago, but I had JP Bouvet on my podcast and he oh, said that, that he had a phone box or something. And I was like, What is yeah. that? he's like, I actually have a box. I put my phone in and I was like, I'll do you one better. I'll get a book that <laughs> is actually a safe, but it looks yeah. like a book. Um, so what? how does that work? It locks it in for preset time or? I, it's just the act of like, this is the kind of thing that I think people don't realize is like every time, and I don't mean to demonize phones. I obviously use my phone. It's how I got here to do this. And it's also how I post on Instagram. It's not like right. I don't use my phone, yeah. but something that I'm like really passionate about is like, I, I noticed at a point in my life that I was, you can look up your screen time on your phone. And there was no day that I ever woke up and told myself, you know what? I think I want to spend four hours on my phone today. That was never a thought I had, but there were multiple days that would just end up and I'd look at my screen time and be like, oh shit, I spent four hours on my phone. And again, if you want to spend four hours on your phone, because it's a way that you unwind or it's a way like whatever, I'm not here to tell you you shouldn't do that. What I decided was, I woke up today and I did not allot four hours to this. However, <laughs> I still spent four hours on this. Yeah. Like, this is not good. I don't want to do that. Yeah, having uh, that control, right? And in the same way, if like you know, I bought a bottle of whiskey last night and then tonight I'm going back to pour some and it's gone. I would then go, hmm, "Wait a second, I have I don't maybe an I, issue." Yeah, 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 I don't <laughs> think I meant to drink a <laughs> bottle of whiskey in 24 hours, but I did this is maybe something I want to figure out. It's a good parallel. Yeah. So yeah. to me with the phone, like it's astounding. So like you reference deep work and like, that's a book that I read and like, I, I got really nerdy about it at, at some point. But I think that like the, the basic thing that you can take away from it is like, we don't realize how much we're paying when we switch from a task to another task and back to a task. Mm-hmm. Totally. So like with transcribing, I swear There are some transcriptions that could not be done if every two minutes there was like a notification coming through that I was even just looking at or whatever. Because like your attention, we we cannot multitask as humans. It's not possible. Our brains Mm -hmm. can't multitask. All we can do is switch very quickly between tasks. So if you are doing a lot of things all at once like all of those things are suffering from spreading your attention to all those things and that gets back to the drumming we talked about earlier like if while you're playing you're thinking about like that email that frustrated you and how you're in an argument with your parents and how you're blah 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 like all of that stuff is taking away is leeching energy is leeching focus from like what you really should be focusing on which is like the task at hand yeah So, I just think that, like, as an experiment, take a day where, you know, make sure your ringer's on for, like, the people that would call you when, you know, the house is on fire or the kid is in the hospital or whatever. Like, make sure that they can get through, but then, like, put your phone in another room and just, like, don't touch your phone for a day. And, like, at the end of that day, take stock of, like, I can look at the amount of hours I spent and tell you with 99% certainty, like, what kind of day it was <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's all based on, and, and I don't know. It's a, it's a chicken and egg situation. I don't know if like I spend more time on my phone. So the day gets worse or the day is bad. So that makes me want to spend an escape <laughs> yeah, to my yeah. phone yeah. or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. It probably depends on what the situations are, but like, as far as working goes, like if I'm in a set, like, and again, you have to be able to like communicate to those around you. Cause this can, this can reach an impractical level. But like my wife knows, like at some point, I'm working from like six thirty or seven in the morning until like five at night.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So in those hours, I want to be interrupted with as little as possible. If it isn't, if it doesn't need to be handled within those hours. So my wife knows that like, if we need to talk about going to visit my sister and brother-in-law in Atlanta next weekend, like that, this is not something that has to be handled right now. Yep. So I've just tried to be really clear, like, Hey, I want to talk about all that stuff put it in a note, send me a text, do whatever. We're definitely going to talk about it. Let's just not talk about it now. Or like there was a period of time where I realized like when she, she would get off work at like four 30 and at four 30, I'm now seeing five and I really want to be protective of like the time that I'm working and when I'm not working. So I'm seeing five coming up and I'm like, all right, shit, let's get it done. 30 more minutes, dead sprint to the finish line. Let's go. (laughs) And she would call me like right when I'm entering that mode, yeah. She's thinking like I just got off work. I want to commute. I want to figure out if we're actually going to dinner tonight or blah yeah, blah blah. Yeah, her mode is totally different, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in a sprint. I I can I can finish this one thing if I just these thirty minutes are going to be perfect. Blah blah blah. And I just mm. had to have a conversation of like, hey, I totally get it. If you need me at the end of work, definitely call me. But if whatever you're doing, calling me can wait like those thirty minutes. I would love it if we didn't. And she's like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And that's so healthy in a relationship yeah. to communicate it like you did. But that really is the kind yeah. of stuff that I look for is like, cause sometimes it can be as simple as that of like, oh, I get a ton of work done at this time. And if no one interrupts me and I just let everyone know, like during this time, I'm going to be like coked out, in my studio working as hard as I can.
2: Oh, really Tim? Like,
0: <laughs> if, like just communicate to people and then the expectations there for you and everyone else. And it's like, great. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just either don't think through it or aren't willing to talk about it or commit to it or whatever. And that's when like things get like really weird. So
2: yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm. And bring it back to the phone thing, I think that's become more normalized you know, for going to bed, for sleeping, right? Probably heard of people doing that for, you know. Yeah. Phone in the other room, I'm going to yep. bed. But that's, no, I think that's totally great. But that's also, I think, kind of the easy route. Because, okay, you're sleeping, you're probably not going to be on your phone anyway. But to apply that for like a task, you know, when yeah. you're working on something, to not have the, even to not have the phone there. Yeah. Like you said, those notifications are going to pop up. Even the, the, you know, the screen lighting up is a distraction. Yup. So, I think we can
1: all do better at actually applying that to the daily task as well. Do you know uh, do you listen to any Andrew Huberman? I was mm-hmm. gonna say that next. And Huberman is the man, first of all. Check him out. Great podcast, tons of incredible information. But one of the things I learned from listening to him is when they've done extensive studying on this, but when you are learning something, first of all, you want you want to have your focus on it entirely. They learned that if you do 10 seconds on like fully attending to that doing the actual thing and then 10 seconds off not switching your attention not task switching at all like keep still thinking about the thing not doing any other things your brain actually plays it back it's something like 10 times 10 times what it would just if you were just to repeat the process yeah and then that's not even to say how much it would how much you would be losing by switching thinking looking at your phone right. checking text yeah. messages looking at instagram all that shit so my, my friend Mark shout out Mark French he's a guy I'll be playing with him and Mark in, French in a little over an hour at Tootsie's. <laughs> oh, um, shit, but yeah, all right. Yeah, he he and I have talked about this. He he actually is ri- slowly writing out his whole like practice theory based on this stuff. It's like yeah, man, it really works. Ten seconds on, just do the thing for ten seconds, and then you nothing yeah. for the next ten seconds, and you,
0: that's his whole practice regimen. Is that, yeah, like
1: you learn
0: so much faster doing that it's funny that's like a micro example of like what they say about sleep right like Mm. you can sleep on a problem and the reason like you can come back to it the next day and it's solved is because like whatever happens in sleep like your brain like jigsaws it all together and (laughs) it's that's that's actual that's where actual adaptation occurs is during rest yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. man that's fascinating i also just think like something as simple as like like if you're going to practice and you really want to get like Cause I think this is, I think, you know, part of what's built into the whole like phone thing is like locking it in a box can seem intimidating because you're like, Oh God, like, what if someone needs me? What if, blah, blah, blah. but think through like, so let's say you want to practice for an hour, mm-hmm. think through like in the next hour, what could happen where like an emergency would happen if I didn't have my phone for this hour? It would be a problem. Chances are like catastrophic stuff aside, like nothing's going to happen within an hour where if you don't respond in that hour, the fire will have spread large enough to where it's now not repairable. You know what I mean? So right. it's like most likely the world and you will survive an hour without you responding to whatever comes in. Yeah. So if we can, if we can admit that, then do yourself the favor of just set a timer for an hour on your phone and put it across the room because what will happen now is like, you know that at an hour it'll go off, and you'll know it's an hour and you can go back to your phone and you can check it or whatever. But what that'll give you is like the ability to truly go wherever you want to go. You don't have to check the clock. You don't have to look at anything. Like even before I left to come here, I had like 45 minutes of chill out time. And I set a timer whenever I needed to like get ready to leave. Cause I was like, I want to like, whether I'm watching YouTube or playing 2k or doing whatever, like I want to just do that. I don't want to be checking the clock. I don't want to ever like we have these things called timers we can set. And now I can just focus on like whatever. So like, like if I was in your position and I like, I had to go to a like Tootsie's tonight, mm-hmm. I would just make sure like, okay, at the very latest, I need to leave at X time. And right. I set a timer for that. And which now, I, I, don't which I to, was
1: actually, as you were saying, I was like, man, I should have done that because I've <laughs> che- I have checked, I checked the phone once 15 minutes ago yeah. and I was just like, okay, we're, we're good. Yeah. But I didn't even want to have to do that.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And well, it's, yeah. But it's those little, to get back to the question you asked like 12 hours ago, yeah. that really is the kind of stuff I'm looking for in my life. Is like, where am I burning energy mm-hmm. that could be totally soaked back up and reabsorbed into something else if mm. I just did this? Or I did this. Because a lot of times those answers, those like solutions are there. You just don't realize it. And sometimes it's as simple as like, you really need to learn better keyboard shortcuts in logic. (laughs) 100%. Like, you know, that kind of thing not only saves you a bunch of time, it makes it easier to work on it, which will keep you inspired for longer. Like sometimes it's really just that simple of like, if you're hunting and pecking through like drop-down menus and Pro Tools, like you're not doing it right. Yeah. That's not it. That ain't it. Learn those keyboard shortcuts. It'll be a pain, but the more of those things you learn, the quicker you'll be in it. And the more you'll be able to take a song from taking an hour to record to 37 minutes. Like I I'm engineering the session for an artist tomorrow. There, are um, a buddy of mine is playing drums. It's weird, long story, but he's essentially like, yeah, I'm hoping to like, <laughs> we can track drums and then I'm hoping we can also like comp and edit. Cause like, I'm just, I'm not good with that stuff yet. And it's like, yeah, I can do that. Like that's something that's hindering his workflow. Mm-hmm. That's not only meaning he has to like hire out, which again, I'm happy to do the work for him. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's going to pay me to do the work. So that's great. Right. <laughs> um, but he's having to hire out for it, but it's also, so he can't do it and he's having to pay money for someone else to do it. But he also is now like that comes with like a certain amount of stress of like, yeah. okay, tomorrow we're going to show up for three hours. We've booked Tim's studio for that long. We're going to have to, track this drums for this song and leave enough time to make sure we can like go through playlist comp together the take and like, you know, get it, you know, that's adding a S even if it's not going to push up against time limits or whatever, that's adding a certain like thing that just wouldn't be there if he was like, yeah, just fucking send me all the files and I'll just dig through all of it. And like, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll comp it whenever I, my kids go to bed and I got right. like two hours to just sit around and do it. Yeah. So I'm just always looking for stuff like that to like make, my and everybody else around me's life easier hopefully
2: yeah i love it that's great advice well the irony too is like you can actually use your phone even if you don't want to go extreme and lock it away or not see it but you can again set timers and now with with iphones you have like the focus modes you know yeah so and you could get all granular with it and and pretty complex but you can make it so it's actually working for you you know not against you
0: yeah Yeah, although they are engineering phones for you to use them more. Oh, 100%. And yeah. longer.
2: <laughs> Same as social media so, platforms. Yeah. 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 which again is like I don't think it's um it's like hey, we, we the classic response right is like, well, now we're showing you how much time you spend on it. Or it's like we're showing you how much sugar is in this food.
0: That's not actually solving the problem. Right. Well, but I also think it's <laughs> like it's up to us to I think what just I think we'll look back in like 20 years and be like, what the hell are we thinking? <laughs> not because like, you know, cigarettes, like now we all understand. And again, I have people I love dearly in my life that smoke cigarettes. They just smoke cigarettes knowing like, yeah, it's probably not. It's, it's definitely not making my health better. Wait, are cigarettes bad for you? So there've been some studies. Then. <laughs> um, it's the same with like junk food or whatever. Like we, I think everybody knows like eating a bag, an entire bag of Doritos while you watch a t- like a TV show. Is a decision that probably isn't bettering your health. And that's fine because you can engage with that product however you want and go like, yeah, okay, so I probably shouldn't smoke a pack today, but I'm gonna. And like, yes, they make those products to be addictive or whatever. But as a culture, we understand like the whole reason we tell kids like, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke is because it's addictive. And we have these like, adopted societal norms of like this isn't good for us mm-hmm. so let's make sure we have clear boundaries around it mm, yeah. and what we've done with phones is we're like we don't fucking care just <laughs> yeah. do it as much as you want yeah and then it starts to hinder people's health and it's bad for us and it increases anxiety and it does all these bad things and the companies are like well we're going to show you how much screen time blah, blah. and it's like no what we should be doing especially as like adults especially like us in the room we're like of an age where we saw a world without smartphones and world with smartphones mm-hmm. like i think like it's up to us to decide like how much do i really want to use this thing and what do i have to do to make sure i only use this thing that much yeah and like it's hard there's cool. a lot of days i don't like my my goal is to only spend 60 minutes a day on my phone there's a lot of days where it's not 60 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) There's some days where it's 38 minutes and those Mm. are some of the best days of my whole life. Mm. Yeah. There are a lot of days where it's not 60 minutes. Oh, and usually those days (laughs) don't feel as good. Yeah. So, and again, 60 minutes is extreme, but I'm lucky. I don't have to leave the house. Most days I work in one room, all my business usually runs through email. So like I have all these things where like, I don't have to have my phone, but I've built out a life where I've tried to do that as much as I can because yeah. I just realized at some point oh this this thing just like owns me yeah and uh that was also the really stressful thing about touring full time mm. is like there were instances where like and I don't I think this is a tacky way to get a sub for a gig but like there were like band leaders that would just text like ten different drummers and be like in not in a group thing, but like copy and paste the same message to ten different people. And be like, hey, bro, like, are you free, like, for this run of shows? Like, pays this much. Like, you know, like, we gotta like our drummer. Blah, blah, oh, blah. covered. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. You, you see like, it. you see. Yeah. of a bitch.
1: You didn't just yeah. send that to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you're out on a run. You come back and you check your text, yeah. and you're like, thirty eight minutes ago. Oh yeah, dude, bro, I'm totally free. And they're like, yep, covered. And you're like. <laughs> Thirty-eight minutes. What's the difference there? I'm just a data point. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, I do have sympathy for people that live in other, like, either industries or have a different business thing than I do. I'm really privileged and fortunate enough to just like I've been like I work through email pretty much. Hmm. Yeah. And if you email me, I'll usually get back within a business day. That's just kind of how it rolls. I don't. I don't do Saturday and Sunday. Usually. And I'm not going to check my email, like, 20 times a day, usually, on good days. Like, once toward the morning, once toward the end of the thing, and then I'm out. And, like, not everybody has the privilege of, like, being able to design that based sure. on, like, what they do for work or whatever. But, like, I've just tried to build that because I realized, like, oh, you can literally spend a whole day just, like, sending bullshit emails to people and not actually do anything. Just refreshing. Like, yeah. not... And especially yeah. for us, like no one's paying me an hourly wage to just like respond to emails. There are some industries, there are some professions where like there is a certain culture where like you got to respond to e- There's like a certain portion. And again, for yeah, these businesses, it's zero, just like, yeah,
2: I think it's super weird.
0: Well, and I think but... like there are a lot of businesses that just don't realize that like stop sending so many emails because everybody's wasting time or whatever. But for me, like no one's paying me to respond to emails quickly. Yeah people are paying me to like get a transcription back quickly. An email is the avenue that you're communicating. Yeah. But like me responding to email quickly and me transcribing quickly are not the same thing. Right. In fact, actually actually the one thing
1: sounds, (laughs) you think in the moment, because you're not getting an email back from me, that it's, that's slowing down my process of getting the thing that you want. But actually that's the thing that's helping me get the thing that you want.
0: Yeah. And again, it comes back to like communication. Like I've, I've had to have, there are a couple of producers I work with really closely that like I've had to have heart to hearts with where I'm like, I know that you and I operate different Enneagram, different ends of like Myers-Briggs, like whatever (laughs) you want to call it. Like we aren't the same thought process. I just need you to not do this. All I'm asking is like, don't send me seven different texts. Stream of conscious as you're thinking them, just put it all in one email. Yep, and I promise that's going to do us a lot better than whatever. But I'm all I'm constantly referring people, like even on Instagram. I'm like, if someone asks me like a good, thoughtful, detailed question on Instagram, I'm like, shoot me an email. Yeah, because I'm going to be able to give them a better answer, responding via email. And yeah. I am just like, you know, while I'm watching some show half paying attention also like dming on instagram like yeah i might answer their question generally tomorrow when i'm in the studio and i'm going through my email i'm going to give them a way better answer a lot of times i record a little voice memo and i'm like here's my thoughts (laughs) and they get like a four minute voice memo and like they're like damn that was crazy that was the best answer ever it's like actually that was like easier than me crafting an artful like paragraph email like so it's like it's (laughs) workflow stuff like that that i've tried to just like Commit to, and then like there is a sense of rigidity of like, send me an email. Send me an email. No, no, no. Send me an email. And I have certain clients that like they have my phone number, and they'll be like, "Yo, I got a song for you." Blah blah blah. They'll send me like five different texts of like information. They're like, "I want it to be like that other song we did with like the New Orleans thing." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Send me an email. Send yeah. me an email." You Concise your thoughts for me, for you.
2: Yeah. You don't even know what you want clearly. Yeah. Put it together. We'll figure it out. Send me an email. <laughs> I mean, you're like I think, you're you like know, Papa Swolio that. Hey,
1: go to the fucking gym. When you get a T-shirt, send me an send email. Send me an
2: email. Yeah, oh. I think like the tools we use matter. Like, I think send me a fucking you're, email. You're saying mm-hmm. too, because I, like I work at Pearl here in Nashville, and like we get so many DMs of like artists trying to get endorsements. It's like yeah. the fact that you're DMing me is like that's not professional. Like that needs to. That should be an email, or at least ask for the email. But we'll get paragraphs of of messages all the time. Sure, you know, think about the person also that's running that Instagram account is probably not the person even in charge of that thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the tools matter is what I was trying to say. But you're,
0: but yeah, but you're also hitting on a good point of like, always think about what does the person you're talking to need? Because that isn't always what you need. (laughs) Yeah. And you might realize that it'll go a lot further. Like, and that was always my thing with like, like with Vic Firth and the VF jams transcription thing. Like I was always trying to just like show them like, This is not only something that I have, but it'll be something that you can do and leverage really easily without, with minimal work. You don't have to reshoot video. You don't have to do anything like you can use a video you already have and have this thing. Cause my thought was always, it's like reuse value and like, who doesn't want to be able to reuse content they have to like make new content that also hits a different thing. It's like, keep that in mind when you're talking to someone like every Mm -hmm. Guys, everything's a negotiation. Okay, <laughs> no, I'm not going to be that guy. Love it.
2: So you were recently nominated for a Grammy. You want to discuss that?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I have, cool of, I have a lot. I a lot of thoughts about this. So yeah. it was a technically was a Latin Grammy. Latin Grammy. Yeah. Um, it's actually an album that I played a bunch of tunes on, and um, it was an interesting thing because I feel like, and I actually posted about it on Instagram recently because I just had a lot of thoughts about like. So if you told, like, 12-year-old me that I was going to have a Latin Grammy one day, I'd be like, damn, that's dope. Uh, That'll probably be the end of my career. I'll sail into the sunset because of that. But then it happens, and there was, like, when I found out about it, there was this moment of, like, being really happy and, like, excited and proud and and all this stuff. And then it kind of just, like, devolved into, like, eh, a Latin Grammy isn't, like, oh grammy and like i don't know if i'm gonna win it anyway so like it's also just like being nominated and like literally it's funny to talk about this right after we just talked about like you can always refine stuff you can always make stuff better you can always like trim this and get this better and like blah blah blah. the flip side of all of that is like you're able to go through a whole life and like hit landmark moments and then not realize they were landmark moments because you were so focused on like what was next or that's fine. But like, I've already like, cause I, I literally can pull up that session in pro tools right now and listen back and be like, yeah, I mean, I was still doing, I was still micing the kick drum this way. And like, mm. you know, I said, blah, blah, blah. And like, I, I, now I would do it this way and now I would, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it could mm-hmm. be better and whatever. So like, it's fully possible to go through life and actually achieve a lot of the things that like the 10 year old, you would want. And then never realize that you were doing it. And I think that that's, <laughs> this again is like another reminder, like the, the Benny Greb course being released with the transcriptions that I did and the Latin Grammy happening at the same time were like interesting because it was at a time where that was like, I think like a month ago that all this stuff kind of started to happen. And it was a time where like work wise things just like dipped. And I was just kind of like working on like, I'm going to do an update of the Aaron Sterling book, which will already be out by the time this comes out and all this stuff. So, like, I was just kind of like working silently on things, but nothing was like really like happening. And then that stuff happened. And I like, it was a good reminder of like, yeah, this is just kind of like what it is. Yeah. Like, whether you win the Grammys or you don't win the Grammys or you never get nominated for the Grammys, like, stuff's going to happen and it's never going to look like what you, what 10 year old you thought it was going to look like. So, you just kind of have to like really soak that stuff in when it happens because it isn't supposed to look a kind of way it unfolds how it unfolds. And again, like all the way back to what we talked about in the beginning, like the more you show up with like, this is like the, the expectation you arrive with the baggage you arrive with of like, this is how it's supposed to sound. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what I'm going to play. This is what all of that stuff starts to weigh down the opportunity that could have happened if you would have not showed up with all that stuff. Yeah. So it's like, of all the stuff I played on in the last like year, is that the project I wish had the Latin Grammy attached to it? Maybe yes, maybe no. Mm-hmm. There's probably other stuff I played on where I'm like, that's a cooler drum part. Yeah. Mm, but that was make... mic'd more properly yeah. or something. I don't get to make those decisions no. though. Like it is what it is.
2: And like, that's yeah, a really good perspective. It's, it's awesome. We were just talking about this with Kip last episode, sort of the idea also of just like, give it your best work and see what sticks. Yeah. He was talking about the Keith Urban cut. Like he didn't expect that goofy demo would actually get picked up. Yeah. Because he didn't have those expectations. Something actually came from it, you know, was oh, now he yeah. can reflect back and, and have those small wins or in that case, a big win. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, that's a pretty healthy, healthy way to look at it. Yeah.
0: And there's no chance that if you were like, if the week that I had worked on that project that was nominated, you would ask me like, yo, what'd you work on? there was no chance I would have ever been like, I think I just worked on the project. It's going to get nominated for a Latin Grammy. Like there, there was no chance of
2: that. Yeah. And you would never say, Oh, well this I'm, I'm going for, I'm shooting for the Latin Grammy on this. Right. this is the-
0: <laughs> yeah. This is the Latin Grammy sound. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> probably not going to win. Yeah. The yeah. Latin Grammy. Yeah. 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 But I do think there's, you know, again, at some point you have to arrive at like being able to, know everything can always be better and also know that like this is what I tell a lot of my students that are like starting to play for the first time. Like if you're on stage and you're giving it your all and you're fully present, there's no need to attach like a good or bad or was could this be better or whatever. Because like you're doing everything you can in that moment. You already won in that point. Like, yeah. Yeah. And later you can, and this is something I've talked about more and more like I, I feel like at some point in college I realized that like so there's a period of when you're practicing and literally this can be like within the same practice session, you need to have periods of time where you're practicing things and you're really analyzing like, that's good. That's bad. This needs to be like more unison. And this is blah, 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 blah and like the timing and I'm rushing and I'm whatever you need to be like practicing and engaging all that stuff. But you also need to practice the ability to just like play drums and not and attach as little emotion and like, analytical processing to it as possible. Yes. And I feel like almost no one does that. And there's a reason why so many people feel like they can't just sit down and play drums. Even though if I'm like, yo, break out Tommy Igo's book or like break out mm-hmm. uh, Tommy. <laughs> uh, or, or break out, you know, like, you know, that, that John Riley thing and like play exercise seven. And they're like, Oh yeah, I can. And they yeah. do it. And it's just like, you gotta, at some point you have to play drums and, get familiar with like what it sounds like to just like do it and not do it for a reason of it's got to be good or it's got to be bad or it's got to be this or i want to do it with this intention just like sit down and like do it Mm -hmm. and just see what happens With, with literally bring nothing to the table other than like i'm just gonna sit down hit drums and see what happens and then if you practice that stuff like you'll foster this kind of thing where like you're both able to engage the analytical side when you need to, and you're able to like turn that off and just be like, Oh, like, so when I'm processing, like when I'm pulling up a pro tool session and I'm in like, I want to get better mode. Like, what would I change about this? Like, what could be better? Like, could this snare drum sound a little different? Sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need to pull up the pro tool session and just listen and go, what a fun, cool thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Like I didn't even realize two years ago is when I started doing this kind of thing. I'm like, how fun is that? Like, that's cool. I did a YouTube video a while ago where I pulled up the first remote at home session I ever did, and I tried to like redo it. And when I pulled up that first session, I was like, "Man, like I I do hate how this sounds, <laughs> but it sounds better than I thought it would." Right. And like, it's good to be able to do both of those things. Be yeah. able to realize, like, wow, God, I've gotten better than the first time I did this and also still be able to be like, man, this could be so much worse. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's not. Yeah.
2: Not not to be so hard on yourself. Yeah. I think that's an, a cool benefit of social media is you can literally now see scroll back to your first few posts and be like, wow one. Are your old YouTube covers. Percent. Yeah. Yeah. Not for anybody yes. else, but just for you. I know that's how I feel. I look at my mm-hmm. old videos and I'm like, this sucks, but
0: wow, I was only twelve and this but is so cool to see where people. People. I've come. Yeah. even for other people. Right. Cause now someone who just bought their first mic setup is able to go back to one of your videos and go, wait a second, he's gotten better. I just watched a new video and I watched one that was four years old. And like, he wasn't that far ahead of me where I am now. Like, yeah. I think that's a really cool thing about like mm-hmm. people. Like I just watched the vanity fair, Billie Eilish. She does the same interview every year oh, yeah. on the same day. <laughs> and like, Certainly, there's like weird things about all of everything being public and recorded forever. Definitely gonna acknowledge that that's a weird thing that isn't always great. But it is fascinating. Like, she talked a lot about how cool it is to have like this little time capsule of like, yeah, that was me. I hate (laughs) parts of what that me is saying, man, but it's also me. I think it's easy to try to avoid the stuff you didn't like or the stuff that you wish had been different but just like soak it in and know that tomorrow's a day that you can change the stuff you didn't like but you can also today appreciate the stuff that wasn't that bad
2: you're in Brentwood now right yeah okay favorite spots around town restaurants oh, I, I, or Nashville Brentwood
0: yeah uh, I would say like Burger Up in 12 South
2: I was just there, there great. last night
0: it's great your favorite coffee spot? Crema. Yeah. Crema, the original one on like Hermitage or whatever it is. So I know you're a coffee guy. Yeah.
3: Okay. Alright.
0: Do you do hot chicken? Uh not re- yeah, I have a whole I have a whole thing about the national hot chicken that we definitely don't have enough time to get into. <laughs> um, oh, but part really, two. Really great wings. If you want really great wings, Sam's place. Sam's uh, Sam's? it's like a weird little local chain Sam's place in Nipper's Corner has some pretty dope wings
2: okay yeah mentioned 2K favorite video game
0: uh ooh man I mean 2K is the like uh let's have some people over and drink and like which is NBA for those yeah NBA 2K but um man recently like the Hitman series has been the most insane awesome series ever I also played Deathloop recently and Deathloop was sick Cool. Favorite book? Man. Um, Brave New World, Alice Huxley. Love it. Cool. No, and then uh, yeah, give us the plug for your podcast as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I have a podcast, You're Good, Get Better. Uh, it's about drums. It's about music. It's about life. It's super fun. I do a lot of different stuff, but um, I've had like Vinnie Grab and Aaron Sterling and a bunch of fun people on and I try to like mess with the format a little bit so that it's not just like three dudes in a mic talking <laughs> like yeah, well drum head behind
2: there <laughs> yeah man cool well I, yeah. I think this has been so valuable and there's been so much wisdom that we've talked about i think people listening to this episode i think people will hopefully is our intent that people are getting better in all areas of their life whether it's drumming or just yeah in, in life
0: so yeah, appreciate
2: appreciate the time yeah thanks
0: guys thanks for having me thank this you this fun
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nashville Drummer's Podcast. If you liked it, please consider leaving us a review on the Apple Podcast app.
2: Also, check out our new website, NashvilleDrummersPodcast.com. And if you're not already following us on Instagram, you can follow us at Nashville Drummer's Podcast.
1: This episode was recorded at Diamond Sound
2: Studios, located in Nashville, Tennessee. Sponsored by Music Lab Nashville. Production by The Wise Company. Thank you for listening, listening. and we'll We'll see you in the next episode. episode.